Hello and welcome to this audio program, Personal Stories at St. James's. My name is the Reverend Julia Matayana Friedman. I am an associate minister um, mostly for children, families, and youth at St. James's. I am really excited to bring you our new guest for this week, Kimberly Hurdle. Before we dive in, let me invite anyone who is interested in being interviewed and sharing more about your life and faith, or perhaps you would be interested in interviewing someone in the congregation, please email the Reverend Matt, and you can reach him at matt at St. James, that's stjames-cambridge.org. Okay, so let us begin. Kim, thank you again for being willing to set aside some time to talk with me and, and let um, the congregation hear more about your life and your own faith journey. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I thought we could start by hearing how you got connected with St. James's. Sure. So I was in college and I was looking for a job on the weekend um, just to do more in the community um, and I actually grew up and went to St. Bartholomew's Episcopal Church in Cambridge um, so finding the job description as being a nursery caretaker for J St. James I felt like that would work great um, just because I already was in a community uh, very much similar and um, I love working with kids um, so the description worked really well with continuing my faith um, in a community that I've always felt so welcomed in growing up, um, as well as strengthening my skills in working with kids of various ages. Very cool. Kim, when did you get hired? Um, so I was hired, I believe, last year of January. January 2019. Cool. Very cool. And just for, let's just reiterate for folks who maybe don't know, before the pandemic, tell us kind of exactly what you were doing on a Sunday morning. Yeah, so um, every Sunday morning I was in the nursery room um, and I had a volunteer who would accompany me. So it was always two adults. Um, we would welcome any child between the age of, like, infant to um, four. And um, they were just welcomed into a space that we set up that had so many books. Um, we had so many toys. Sometimes we would play music. We had the colorful mats. Um, and, yeah, we would just interact with them, give them a space where they can very much be a kid because sometimes during service it's very structured and there's moments of silence. Um, and some kids aren't a fan of that, especially on a Sunday morning. Um, mm -hmm. So we just had a space for them to interact with other kids and um, interact with adults as well um, and just release any energy that they had while also, um, you know, learning skills like sharing, advocating for themselves, and also interacting with their parents. I feel like from the kids' perspective, it helps with consistency because they're seeing someone every Sunday the same as like if they went to a daycare they see that teacher every single day so it was nice to come on a Sunday 
and see that a kid recognizes my face and is just so comfortable, like, playing with me, and they, like, know what toy they want to play with from the start. Like, they'll grab the blocks, and I'm like, all right, we're playing blocks today, and they're just so comfortable. Well, Kim, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about where you grew up and what that was like for you. Yeah, of course. So I grew up, um, in a sense, in Cambridge most of the time. Um, so St. James was also just like another another um, luck for me in finding that job in an area that I've grown up so much and really love, um, just because there's so much diversity Um, So I went to an elementary school in Cambridge, and that helped me a lot with finding my identity, um, for sure, and just embracing, like, my culture. Um, My parents are from Barbados, so they're not from America. Um, So just as a young kid, being in Cambridge, whether it was the school or um, taking, like, dance classes in Cambridge or even St. Bartholomew and being raised there in Cambridge, um, there was always a way for... Uh, the Cambridge community to help me and accept who I am. Um, And then I went to school in Medford, which was another experience in regards to my identity. Um, It was a little bit harder because it is a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, Mm -hmm. But I have had a lot of experiences that I was able to help in becoming strengths and just the foundation that I've had growing up in Cambridge um, that has helped me already find you know, like my roots and like what I appreciate about myself and my old culture. Yeah, can we, yeah, let's talk more about that. So you said your parents are from Barbados originally. When, when did they come to the United States? Um, so I believe they came around the 1980s. Um, okay. So yeah, they were born and raised in Barbados, have been there for many years and then came to the United States, um, and they actually one of the first churches that they went to was St. Bartholomew. So they very much uh, were welcomed with open arms for that church. Um, and there's a lot of um, people from Barbados at St. Bartholomew as well, um, which is funny because coming to St. James, I've also was able to just detect the Bayesian accent from some people who go to St. James. So I was like, oh, you're definitely from Barbados. So it's it's cool to always find the community in some way even between churches yeah that's really beautiful i would love to hear more i wonder if there's a favorite family tradition that you have growing up yeah of course so uh they vary um i do notice there's kind of like a so i very much was raised within like the barbados culture Um, But also being a kid from America, my parents really wanted to incorporate American culture as well for me. Um, So those two are always intertwined. Um, Holidays are definitely a big thing um, for Bayesians um, because they are pretty religious. So holiday, uh, Christmas rather, was always a big thing for us. Christmas Eve, we always opened one present. Um, So that was always exciting, just choosing which one I want to open first. And then Christmas Day, we would open the rest. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very similar to America in some ways. Um, I did used to go to Barbados a lot when I was younger, um, and that helps a lot with, you know, understanding the culture that I'm growing up around. Always interesting to see such two different cultures, um, and how I'm still a part of them and they make up who I am. That's lovely, Kim. Yeah. Thanks for sharing 
about those sort of two pieces of your identity that sometimes might be complicated um, and complicate each other. It makes me think of a social psych theory that's not perfect, but I wonder if it resonates with your experience. It's called third culture kids. And it's this idea that immigrant parents um, have their culture, their culture of origin, and then the dominant culture in America is um, the other, the second culture. And together, those make the culture, those two make the culture of um, their offspring. So in some ways, I, I wonder if it would resonate with your experience thinking about, you know, your parents' culture, American culture combining to make this third culture that is, that is Kim, basically. Yeah, no, I, I definitely can see that. Um, it's very interesting to learn about that. Um, it reminds me of a lot of the, um, I guess the traditions within America, like Halloween is such a big thing here and dressing up and going trick-or-treating. Um, and that's not something at all in Barbados. So I remember talking to my, my mom about that and she was like, you know, that's just like what a lot of American, American kids did. So like, I would just buy you a costume and like, we would just walk around and let you have candy where in like Barbados, like you just don't see that at all. Um, and it's also with like varying beliefs, um, that are really with any, any type of religion or culture in some sense, um, where like Halloween can be viewed for some as like um, a holiday, like for the devil. Um, yeah. So with, yeah. With Barbados, they don't celebrate it at all. But um, but yeah, my parents oh, allowed me and my brother to. So I never really delved too much into that, but that is like something that's reminding me, like, oh, maybe I should talk to my parents about that more. So you ended up celebrating or like participating as a kid growing up in traditions like Halloween. Even though yep. your parents maybe were like, this is strange, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> Kim, so I know you mentioned that growing up in Medford was a bit, well, I guess let's say different than it was in Cambridge for you. And I wonder if you're willing to tell us a bit more about that. Um, so it's, it's interesting because Medford and Cambridge aren't that far from each other, but they were just, just so such a different experience and in a sense even like a, a culture shock in some ways yes yeah, so I was in Cambridge I went to school there um, since I was a toddler um, and then I left in fifth grade so I was there for many years and all my friends were from Cambridge or Boston because I went to um, Benjamin Banneker Charter Public School um, which actually isn't far from St. James at all um, yeah, so I went there, and, you know, like all my teachers were of color. Um, it was just I saw a lot of people who looked like me, so I just thought that was that was my world growing up. Um, and then going to Medford, it was so different because um, just like high school, for example, I didn't have not one teacher of color, um, and if they were, it was like a substitute teacher. Um, so they weren't someone that I often saw, so there weren't many people who looked like me other than students, um, but we didn't really have adults that we could see as role models in high school. 
Um, so that was just a, a huge difference compared to growing up in Cambridge. Um, and even St. Episcopal's Church, it was very diverse, but it was just one of those perks where there were so many people from Barbados there. So they were a second family to me. Um, where in Medford, it was it was harder, whether it was clothes, because um, I did dress different, or just like the way I spoke. I had like different slang to kids from Medford, and sometimes they didn't like understand what I was saying. Um, or just like uh, priorities in general. Like I wasn't someone that focused a lot on like makeup in middle school, but then interacting with middle kids in middle school and like realizing, oh, there's eyeliner that people wear and there's mascara. And I've never heard of these things before, but I guess I should like grow up a little more and try them out. Um, so it, it was definitely hard, um, but it opened my eyes to the real world in a sense. Uh, because I won't always see someone who looks like me, um, but at the same time, I should try to, you know, like find my seat at the table in some way, like use my presence to um, let other people know that um, I may not look like you, but I'm here for the same purpose, and I have my own purpose, and I want you all to know about that. And there were, um, I mean, there were moments where I was able to find beautiful elements of my experience. Um, like my friends are very diverse, so I feel like they each represent me in some way, like all of them make up who I am. So it's definitely a a great thing that I was able to pull from my experience in high school. Yeah. Tell us what you're doing for work now and what drew you to this work. So I work at a behavioral health agency um, called Riverside Community Care in Somerville, and um, it. I work at the Life Skills Program, which is a day program for youth um, between the ages of 12 and 18. And um, a lot of them have um, a mental illness that hinders their social skills or just their interactions in their community as well as attending school. Um, so an alternative for them instead of school is to come to the Life Skills Center. And uh, as a clinician there, I do individual therapy with uh, my assigned clients as well as group therapy. So I lead a couple of therapeutic groups um, that range from helping the kids gain insight on their symptoms of their mental illness, as well as navigating the family dynamics that they have, um, their friendships, um, even like body image and like team building, social skills, kind of everything that we try to acquire as an adolescent so we're prepared more as an adult for life. Um, I do a lot of that through my role. So I would be really interested to hear what drew you to this kind of social work in particular. Yeah, I would say just a lot of experience that I've had growing up. Um, High school for many people is a hard time just being adolescent. It's that phase where we're trying to find our sense of belonging and who we are and who we should hang out with that um, strengthens us rather than hinders us. Um, so I was very much attracted to working in a job that worked with adolescents um, because for me, I just knew it was a hard time. So if I could help in any way for the generation to come, I definitely want to do that. Um, with mental health, it's it was one of those situations for myself as well that I didn't know much about it until it affected me, uh, whether it was my own life or my family or my friends. 
Um, so in college, I did study social work, um, and then grad school, I studied clinical social work um, just to gain more insight on mental illness and how it affects society in general, um, especially marginalized populations um, who may understand mental illness but have a hard time finding those resources. Um, so that's one of the reasons I also found this job in Somerville because it's such a diverse, rich community similar to Cambridge. Um, so I'm hoping that I can interact with a lot of adolescents who come from different cultures, whether their family knows what a mental illness is and understands their diagnosis or doesn't. Um, I'm definitely willing to help in that process. That's really inspiring, Kim. Thank you. So tell us what your the shape of your work has been like pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. So I did work before the pandemic happened, but it was more so of training, so just understanding what the program was like. Um, but after the pandemic was pretty much the time we were planning to open our own um, center in Somerville. Um, and yeah, so the pandemic happened and that obviously changed a lot of things. Um, but we were able to luckily adapt to what was happening and we ended up opening a virtual program. So wow. within Riverside Community Care, we're actually one of the first programs to start as a virtual program. So it's it's been an uh, interesting experience for sure. So as I'm sure you know, a lot of people are switching to virtual programs and virtual ways of doing business, if you will. And I'm curious about what you found really challenging in switching your paradigm and what you found sort of life-giving and, and interesting and maybe even positive in switching that paradigm so quickly on a dime. Yeah, so it was definitely a lot of patience, um, similar to how everyone really is coping with the pandemic. There was a lot of change and finding ways to accept the change because it is, as a lot of people are saying, like a new normal. Um, so it was like preparing for starting a program physically and then realizing, oh, this pandemic's happening. I may not see clients uh, for months to maybe even a year in a physical space. So now I have to learn the ins and outs of a virtual program. Um, and we did a lot of training around telehealth and um, mm -hmm. we do use Zoom to meet with the kids. Um, I think one of the hardest things was um, it's it's hard to really assess someone through Zoom. Usually you only see from like the shoulder up, so you don't see if they're anxious, if they're fidgeting with something, or if they're like tapping their leg, or um, if there's something that they use to cope that you can't really see. Um, so you really have to focus on their facial expressions. And one of the hard things is that people in general can be stoic where they may be feeling one emotion, but they're not showing it. Um, so it's a lot of digging to meet people where they're at or just understanding their mindset. It's so much harder um, through a virtual virtual lens in some ways. Um, and also with, yeah, yeah. and it's, it's even like the, the little things within virtual, virtual stuff. Like I've realized internet connection, Wi-Fi is very much a privilege. And that's something I really didn't think of until 
we started this virtual program where not everyone has access to reliable internet. Um, like even for me, when like it's a downpour, I just know my internet's going to cut out. Um, so then I have to like quickly think of like a backup plan. So there's a lot of problem solving within having a virtual program. Um, so it's definitely a, a change, but I think we've, we've been doing this program for a couple months now since April. Um, so we're definitely adapting to the change and we're, we're just very alert that like anything can happen. So we kind of have to have a backup plan and just think quickly um, to ensure that kids are able to continue going to this program. So what's one of your favorite activities that you do in these group therapy sessions? Yeah, so we have um, an expressive art group, um, which I lead and definitely one of my favorite groups for sure. Um, so we incorporate art and writing, um, and most of the writing is journaling, which is a great coping skill for anyone really. If, you're, if it's hard for you to verbally communicate your emotions or uh, what you're struggling with, just writing it down and keeping it to yourself is a really great method. And just like letting out um, that frustration or anger or anxiety. So we do a lot of that in our program, um, especially just as a virtual program. It's something that the kids can still do through a camera. Um, so one of the activities that we have done, I think one of my favorites so far has been um, uh, music in my life type of activity where the kids were able to create um, a CD album cover of their life and on the back of that paper they would create a lyrics or a track list of just the names of songs that relate to their life. Um, so that was just interesting because I've also noticed a lot of the kids are very much into music. Um, so it was nice to see the art that they would create that's about them. Because um, mm -hmm. a lot of them just need some time to think, like, this is about me. I want to, like, think about myself and not all the external things that are happening um, and just see where they are as well. Can you think of a person who has been the kindest to you in your life and tell us about them? Yeah, I would say um, definitely my dad. Um, he's someone that I have found since I was pretty much born has always showed me the Christian values of giving back and forgiving others and accepting others um, and just listening to each other's stories. And I find that that has helped me lead to the path of um, finding a helping profession that incorporates therapy um, and social work and just society, how to help society as a whole. Um, he's, uh, very much like a Christian man where he listens to all of my problems and even though he may not understand them, he gives that presence that he's at least listening. Um, so I feel heard and valued. Um, and he always found ways for uh, my family to give back, whether it's donating or um, soup kitchens within the church or Thanksgiving baskets for those who are sick. Um, and yeah, I would just say he, he just has a very kind nature to him. In this season, how has your faith and relationship with Jesus sustained you? It has strengthened in some ways. Um, I very much focused on a lot of the values that I've learned through like Sunday school um, and the hymns and the psalms that I've 
heard every Sunday at church um, mm-hmm. that have brought me closer to God and, you know, just the sense of helping others. Um, that's mm-hmm. very much one of the, the big things that God has taught us. Um, and I feel like that's why my relationship with him is so strong and continues throughout my life um, because I I find that my purpose in life is very much connected to what God wants us to do. Um, so I, I found in this, this season, it helps a lot because I'm still working um, and I'm finding that a lot of what I'm doing is what I've grown up to hear what God expects from us. Mm-hmm. Um, even just making sacrifices um, during through this pandemic, um, you know, like staying home um, mm-hmm. and limiting our interactions and really prioritizing our needs and also remaining aware of there are other people who um, this pandemic can greatly affect them um, yeah. to just think about others as well. I think the, the values that I've learned, um, I really thought more about them during this season. Yeah, well, thank you, Kim, again. Um, I wanted to close out our time with a bit of a heavy-hitting question. As a strong person of color and also a woman of faith, I wondered if you had any words for us about police brutality, what we are seeing more and more in the news, the political climate that we're all swimming in, um, or really however you want to approach this topic sure yeah i think one of the first things that comes to mind um for me in regards to police brutality um and the black lives matter movement everything is that knowledge is very much power and Mm -hmm. i think with what's happening now a lot of people are actually putting the time to um, gain more knowledge whether it's listening to the stories of those who belong in the black community or um, just constantly looking at and also being critical of the news that they absorb um, and recognizing who creates these news and what the news is conveying, um, whether it's on like the protest or just the Black Lives Matter movement in general. Um, I it's It's interesting because I've, in social work, we very much look at the systems that have been constructed, especially in American society. Um, mm-hmm. So it's one of those systems that I've always looked at through a social work lens, but also just as a black woman in my own experiences, in my own lens being part of um, the black community. It's it's hard in some ways. Um, I remember one little quote that I heard was that uh, the black community very much uses our pain to um, create something beautiful in a way. So I I think that a lot of our pain, we are using it now um, in ways to really try to make a change. And it's, I'm hopeful in the sense that I do see a lot of allies who are recognizing that there has been a specific group in society that has helped society in so many ways, but is still um, not as, not appreciated as other communities um, and need to feel heard and valued and welcomed in some way um, and to not let history repeat itself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think with when it comes to police brutality, it's really just gaining more knowledge in some ways of the systems within uh, the police department 
and how those are strengthened and enforced um, to keep the black community um, remaining inferior and what we can do in changing those systems um, that have been in place for so many years and how it's, you know, strengths in numbers for sure. Um, like in history, like for example, the Stonewall riots, um, there's so many people that helped in creating this movement for the LGBTQ community and even like the civil rights movement, just a lot of people coming together and understanding we need to make a change and we need to learn to make that change. Um, so it, it's definitely an, an interesting experience. It's not something that is new to me as a black woman because it's something that like I've always learned to remain alert about. Um, yeah, but it's it's nice to see that there's more people opening their eyes to what's happening in society. Um, and I feel like for me, it, it definitely was hard and it is hard constantly hearing this in the news um, happening to people who look like me. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like also with a lot of, you know, self-care and self-reflection, I'm learning to use my energy in ways that will help my community and yeah. um, using my my sense of peace in a way, even though I don't think I've reached that full peace with what's going on um, with myself and like using my own purpose and the power that I may have in different ways, um, especially being like a licensed social worker and having that title, um, how I can use that for advocate for others and encourage others to um, be aware of their own privilege and how they can use that to help those who are marginalized um not exactly taking away their voice but amplifying it for sure yeah well thank you kim again we so appreciate you being willing to share with us a bit more and getting to know you even more and i appreciate um you know the opportunity of letting my perspective um and my voice be heard through this for sure well, St. Jamesians, that's all we have time for today, but briefly, if you or a young person you know in your life is struggling with uh, mental illness or any of the other topics we spoke of today, first, know that you're not alone. Um, second, I would encourage you to even just Google the hotlines in your area, and if you or a youth in your life is interested in the program that Kim spoke of today, you can visit their website. It's called the Riverside Life Skills Center, and you can visit them at riversidecc.org. Now, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you all the days of your life. Through Christ our Lord, amen.